BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall. This is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, David. Hey, Josh. What's up? Not much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Had a had a kind of a, a crazy weather weekend. Yeah, and for both to, of, for both of us, it sounds like a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. We, we, there was a big there was a big. Uh, I guess it was here too yeah. in the city. But my son and I got caught driving across New Jersey in this like insane torrential downpour <laughs> where I'm pretty certain there was hail. Yeah. Uh, was he freaked yeah. out or mostly just kind of enjoying himself in the joy ride on the side streets? I think mainly enjoying himself. The part I'm talking about was actually when we were on, I think, uh, Route 78. So sort of like a, a, a smallish highway gotcha. that kind of cuts across New yeah. Jersey. And that was, and it's, it's, there's some hills you go over and stuff and, and, I don't think he wasn't scared. He was he was he was maybe a little apprehensive at that <laughs> point. But then when we were we were closer to the city, it was it was there was just you know the streets were all flooded out and stuff. Right. That was kind of like the most the most fun part of our trip. Yeah. Well, joining us today we've got Kate Riga and Josh Cavensi. Hey guys. Hey. How are we doing? Good. Good. Had a much more temperature controlled weekend than Josh. <laughs> That's good. How about you, Josh Kofensky? Yeah, all as well. I was in D.C. got back yesterday. Nice. It's good, yeah. Seeing some family and some of our colleagues as well. Exactly. So are you, are you from Are you from D.C.? From D.C. area? Are your family lives there now? I have, I have family out in the Northern Virginia suburbs. Oh, okay. And so we grew up, I we lived there for a few years when I was growing up. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, I, so I, I, I got I to gotta do some business here. We're going to... Um, talk about Grady's cold brew iced coffee and and we were just saying we're gonna we're gonna get some new copy because this is this is starting to feel we've been out in the wilderness a long yeah, time this is starting <laughs> to feel a little da- uh, dated is it more I, I wonder I wonder if if Grady has started working the 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 school business in 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 New York City or I guess actually kids aren't supposed to drink coffee are they yeah not quite like elementary school or no. yeah yeah but to high school remember I, I remember when I was um that's when I got into coffee. No, I think yeah, it was. Too. I think it was. I was on a family, or you know, visiting family with family vacation, and I think I was thirteen. And the plate, the people we were with, they offered me coffee, and I was like, "All right, <laughs> yeah, you were like part I'm, of the club. Yeah, <laughs> this is like I'm for real now. All right, if you're roughing in a wilderness or traveling to some remote location, finding the perfect cup of iced coffee can be a serious challenge. But Grady's Cold Brew is here to help. Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit is ultra light and packs flat, so it's easy to stash in your suitcase or your backpack or whatever you know duffel bag or whatever you have. All you need to do is add Add water. Tap, bottled, filtered directly from a mountain stream. No electricity, refrigeration required when you brew it this fresh. Each kit makes 36 cups of coffee for only 30 bucks, and shipping's free. Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2001. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. Okay. All right. So on tap today, a couple of topics I wanted to get to. First is just a slew of stories of foiled mass shooting attempts, plots, plans, and the wake of the El Paso and Dayton shooting massacres. Josh Marshall, you have a phrase you've been using for the 
various suspects in these stories. Yeah. Oh, feral dweebs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I just, uh, I, I guess this, I'm not sh- this podcast probably go live uh, this afternoon or maybe, maybe tomorrow morning, but I just posted a piece on this sort of explaining that I think there's, I think there's more to it than just, you know, kind of like snarking on these dudes. I actually think um, mockery, but also as, as I said in that post, we need to be careful not to participate in these people's drama. Uh, and, and in this case, obviously, when someone like murders 30 people, that's pretty heavy and, and a pretty dramatic turn of events. But there's a broader penumbra. You know, there's these guys who, who you know, kind of put on like crusaders costumes and stuff and, and go march in Portland or Charlottesville. And we need to both resist, but again, also not get not participate in their drama because their drama is one of their weapons. And, and, and most of these guys are, I mean, in some, in, by some definitions, all of them, but most of them are just the kind of people who, when I was, when I was a kid growing up, just losers, just real losers, you know, awkward, isolated, kind of angry and, 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 and jerks and all of the, you know, all, all of those things. And now this is a, you know, it's 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 sort of militant dweebs, right? And kind of used to. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole other conversation. Empower, you know, empowered, enabled by social media too. Uh, by social yeah. media and 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 these these sort of ideologies of 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 outrage. Yeah, I just I mean, I agree, but it's interesting how they I think through social media, that's part of how they get it's sort of the kind of contamination spreads, but. You know, a lot of times it's these guys who are losers, but they end up blaming their lot in life on, you know, what they perceive to be like the decline of white people in the U.S. I mean, and so they buy into these white nationalist ideologies. And that's what ends up feeding them and kind of whipping them up into these violent frenzies in a way. Right. Which I think plays into your point about the drama because it's one of their weapons, but it's also their prime motivator yeah. mm-hmm. that when they commit these uh, atrocious acts, you know, they're elevated in some way, whether that be through infamy or whatnot, but it's still a platform they never would have had before. And, you know, they have their name in the history books, right. whereas, you know, otherwise they're just the angry guy who's on the internet who nobody knows about. Right. Well, and there's also, you know, a, a huge component of this, and most often it's not distinguishable, is rage against women. Mm-hmm. And all these kind of you know, uh, uh, women who were supposed to be nice to me and weren't nice to me and women who were supposed to give me sex because I wanted sex and didn't. And all, all this kind of, you know, uh, right. Was it Elliot Rogers, the kid in California who went on the shooting spree? I think that's his. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, it seems like that case in particular has inspired or like become a cause celebre of like, we call them incels or people right. on the alt-right well, message I, boards. And, I think, I, I think, I mean, that motivation, I think, has always been a kind of a, a strong motivator for these kind of things. But I think he was the first one who had some sort of manifesto or some sort right. of like yeah. explicitly right. sort of embrace that sort of incel ideology and 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 whatever. So. Right. Which is another reason I think you know there is an undeniable tangent from these people to Trump, who has made you know the physical assault of women. Uh, politically survivable and something that you know this cadre of people celebrates and brings these feral dweebs together in that it's a group of people that they feel superior to, towards and that they don't have to respect their 
physical bodies, emotional states, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Josh Kavinsky, you wrote about just one of these stories. I mean, there's been a few people in the Orlando area, the Las Vegas area. On Friday, you looked at a case in Connecticut, right? Can you tell us about kind of just one of these particular cases that we're sort of talking about? Yeah, sure. So it's this guy, his name is Brandon Wagshaw. He, I think, like Josh just described, I mean, he's a 22-year-old white guy who, in community college, um, didn't seem to have a lot going for him. And he was picked up by the cops uh, last week on a tip that he was basically trying to import uh, like high caliber weapons from outside of the state of Connecticut. Um, you know, the cops did more investigating and they found that he had made a Facebook post threatening to do a mass shooting. So they picked him up, they arrested him, um, put, up this, put out this press release saying that they arrested somebody on suspicion of planning a mass shooting. Um, and then it emerged later through our reporting that he had left this like trail of really inflammatory, racist, sexist, uh, transphobic, and in some cases Trump supporting posts online. Um, and it was, there were a few kind of, I think, particularly chilling moments in it. So for example, in the press release, they note that he was arrested with a bulletproof vest with like titanium body armor in it. And, uh, but like one of his like last Instagram posts before, um, his arrest was him in a like titanium body armor bulletproof vest. And it said like, if you don't own like a titanium bulletproof vest, you're a plebe or something, which is like online. Was was that the picture that, that was in the was in the post. It was. It was. It was an article. It was in the body okay, of the post. Okay. Yeah. So that okay, was yeah. like taken a few days before he was arrested. Um, and it, I mean, it was this pretty chilling kind of like descent. You could go online and see him like I mean, get kind of more hateful as time went on, and eventually, yeah. I don't, I don't know if this. Uh, one of the things that's striking to me because I mean, there's been, I feel like there's been five or six of these arrests since right. El Paso, and what strikes me is that, you know, you most of them are are. Uh, you know, characterized as, you know, sort of a threat or a plot, you know, in some stage of preparation or something like that. And in some cases, though, it's not totally clear, like, you know, it wasn't necessarily they're going to do it tomorrow. But what strikes me is that once you start looking, there's a lot of guys who are, I mean, we all, because of our job, we we live on social media. And so you can't be on Twitter without knowing that, man, you can you just do a few string searches and you can find tons of people like threatening mass murder right. with some sort of rightist background. And I have no doubt if you like that quite a few of those, if you got a, if you got a warrant, you'd you'd see they had a big arsenal. Um, and so on 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 the on the one hand, it's just, you know, uh police are starting to take this a little more seriously if you and 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 i i assume you know some of these cases if you've got a big arsenal you've probably you know in connecticut you, you if you're they, bringing them in over they the have state different line. Right, they yeah. have different uh uh rules in connecticut but in some cases you know in some cases yeah. just, you know, a legal arsenal but it's the threat that is i think often the hook because right. you can't make threats there's certain kind of threats that are not you know, not covered by by free speech, but again, really strikes me that these guys are out there, and that's you know, really people weren't taking point. it seriously. Because you remember, like back in uh, October, November, right after the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, there was this case in D.C. of this brother, these two brothers right. who were in touch right. yep. with the Pittsburgh shooter. One of them killed himself basically the day of the Pittsburgh massacre. Um, the other one was arrested, and the other one was a, he was really like a, very much like an avowed neo-Nazi. Um, and he had like a, he was having a breakdown. He was basically telling people like I'm going to like do this. I'm going to go shoot shoot up a bunch of people. And so his parents reported him to the cops, and he was arrested. But what he was charged with was uh, illegally importing a firearm into D.C. 
And if you read all the charging documents, what it says is that, you know, there's no guns, there are no arms manufacturers in D.C. He didn't have a permit, but he had, he had weapons. Right. And so that's what they got him on. It wasn't anything to do with, with the, uh, you know, his like basically expressed intent to right. yeah, go shoot something up. Right. Well, part of that, too, which is concerning to me in that story and yeah. in a whole rash of these uh, kind of the spate of them after the El Paso shooting is that almost everyone that I looked at, you know, they only, the person got caught through a concerned family member or significant other or something like that, which is good, you know, Mm. in these cases, but it's also like, that's what we're depending on, that these people have not fallen so far through the cracks that there's still concerned people in their lives. Right. And even in the Dayton example, right, didn't the, the gunman's mom report him and El Paso. Wait, I thought, I yeah, wasn't it El Paso yeah. where, where yeah. the gunman's mom kind of went to the police and said, like, he's got these weapons and stuff. And they were basically, like, it wasn't one of these cases where kind of it fell through the cracks and they didn't look. They were like, There's nothing it's we a legal weapon. Do. There's right. nothing we right. can yeah. do. Yeah. That was in El Paso. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 uh, and then, you know, there was this other case that I, I, I don't know which of us uh, wrote it up, but this case, the, the case you mentioned in Las Vegas, where this guy, I guess, had gotten far enough along that they thought he was targeting a synagogue in, in Las Vegas and maybe also a gay nightclub, you know, kind of something like that. And in that case, he was one of these guys who a couple years before, one of these guys shows up in a neighborhood where no one wants him there and he's going to fight crime by like walking around in body armor and an AR-14, you know, AR-15, you know, this kind of Second Amendment, you know, kind of open carry activism stuff, which, again, is to me an obvious precursor for this kind of sure. these kind of mass shootings. And you know, the way he was caught, though, is fascinating because he was he wasn't the other. So since El Paso, there have been around four or five cases where somebody who seems to have been a white supremacist or white nationalist was about to do a mass shooting and it was averted. But that, that was the one case where he was caught because of an F- FBI informant. So he was on these, he's, he was part of this group called the Adam Waffen. It's this far right group that exists online. Right. And uh, it turns out that the FBI had like people online who were talking to him in these forums and eventually made contact with him individually. And that's how they got him. Whereas in the other cases, it was an outside tip. To but, see what he was up for, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's, that's where you get to this issue of... Uh, it's happened multiple times, but but there where there's political interference with efforts to monitor these groups, and and it's always an issue of of it's always important that whenever the FBI or other agencies that are part of the Department of Homeland Security are monitoring groups that you're fundamentally monitoring the violence or a reasonable suspicion of of movements towards violence because even horrific ideologies are not illegal you know you can you can be a white supremacist as long as you're not acting in a way that is 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 going to lead to action i mean we i think we've seen that's fairly that's a fairly theoretical uh possibility but that shows you why and and a lot of a lot of the and there's been a uh, there's certainly been abuses of it but a lot of the arrests for uh you know, jihadist terrorism, where it's kind of in an early stage or, or uh, you know, just in the planning stage, is because the FBI and various federal agencies in, in for the first decade or so after 9-11 had informers just all over these groups. And so it, it, often when someone kind of finally decided they wanted to do something and they started like, you know, who's going to help me, they would kind of stumble upon some like informant and that's how they got arrested. 
I'm reading this really interesting book right now. It's called um, Bring the War Home. So it's by this scholar from Chicago, Kathleen Bellew. And it's about mm-hmm. how like a lot of the white nationalist movements that have occurred in the U.S. have been founded in a big way by veterans returning from wars abroad. Mm-hmm. And so she goes into the Klan mobilization after the Vietnam War. And she talks about how like in the late 70s, and I think this is widely known, but still, it's like you would go to a Klan meeting and like something like seven out of nine people at the meeting would be FBI informants or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's possible that if the political will, will were there, I mean, they could, yeah. they could just completely penetrate these organizations. It's been done in the past. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's totally. Not, it's totally, clearly not totally. being done right now. And I mean, there, it's, it, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there are, you know, there is room for abuse in, the, in, sure, in yeah. these cases. And we certainly saw that with a lot of the, uh, you know, shahada stings and, and arrests and, 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 and so on and so forth. But at least in principle and often in practice, you know, it is good to have people in the mix for when that person says, you know what? I think I do want to mow down 30 people mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk to my buds in, you know, in the U S Waffen SS or whatever, whatever their yeah. organization <laughs> is called and ask about like a gun, you know, where do I get, where do I get a gun or where do I get a, you know, yeah. with this, this, that or yeah. the other. And like, I think in a way it goes to another issue with this. I mean, it's like, you know, we've seen like four or five now attempts of mass shootings in El Paso. And there's still this question on my mind of like, yeah, we're seeing them, but is this, to what extent is this due to like increased media attention or just are the cops paying more attention or are people just more kind of vigilant? So they're actually reporting people now who would otherwise, you know, be really angry and be losers, but might not necessarily actually ever pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it does kind of raise that question, which, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I think in every, in, in every situation or milieu like this, you've got a lot of people who are in principle support violence and you got a smaller group who kind of actively thinks about it, but it takes a lot. You, you're, you're, you're basically, um, most of these people have to know they're probably going to get killed. I mean, that's a big step for anybody. And even incredibly hateful, awful people often have a hard time actually killing a lot of people. They may, they may live in the outrage and the, and the sense of menace, but all, but you know, you've got that subsection who go, who goes through with it. And this is what, you know, a civilized society has to do to protect itself. Josh Marshall, I wonder if you could expand when you said earlier about the, you know, the term feral dweebs and not participating in the drama, what Mm -hmm. did you mean by the drama of the kind of, you know, you know, would be shooters, et cetera. I, I certainly don't. I mean, I, I don't mean the shootings themselves. I mean the sort of the marches by like proud boy types mm-hmm. and this, this, uh, these are all ways to glorify power, glorify their power. There's a sort of an apparatus of menace about it. Um, when, you know, when they're, when they're marching in Charlottesville with their torches and stuff like that. And, and you see it also in the online component with these anonymous social media handles and so forth and, and, and the language they use and, uh, you know, their manifestos and all this kind of stuff. It is all very kind of weighty and, and they are trying to evoke quite consciously things like the Third Reich, uh, fascist movements in the 1930s. And maybe we will get there, but we are not there yet. We are not even close to there yet. That these are these are mainly, you know, maladjusted losers um, who have this, you know, great sense of grandiosity about 
their ideas, about their power, and so on and so forth. And so that's what I mean by by their by their drama and 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 why I think both you know obviously the 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 person who actually does the mass shooting they're not paying attention to what words we we use for them but there's a there's a much broader penumbra of of followers who are entranced by this stuff and i do think we can add to the empowerment by how we react the the sense of drama and and menace that we give to them that that's what i mean yeah I think, and pushing back on it kind of mm-hmm. i was gonna say i think that's also part and parcel with how we treat the shooter after the shooting has happened you know kind of these long digressive exploratory pieces on their childhood and were they or were they not menacing when they were in kindergarten mm-hmm. and were there signs and everything and I, in some ways I, I understand the instinct it's because it feels chaotic and uncontrollable and if there's an idea that you can pinpoint who's going to do this if you're paying attention that you get to wrest back some control from the tragedy but more than anything else I think it allows these people to be in these communities anyway to be glorified created into being these martyrs in a way that's Everyone was talking about the Sandy Hook shooter, the Columbine shooter. Yeah. Well, you know where that one where that came out was the 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 Parkland uh, guy who's who's wait what was Nicholas it? Cruz right Nicholas mm-hmm. Cruz where I I mean one of the sad things about this is a little hard for me to keep them all straight at this point but I think there was a there was sort of a a backlash to the backlash with him where there was at least some accusation that he had been bullied or people had been mean to him and then he was he, he there was there was a certain faction that was making him out to be sort of like a victim of bullying or i i don't remember the exact thing right. but that the school uh you know the school authorities hadn't protected him from whatever you know kind of bullying was happening and stuff and so there is this and and even with the um in the whole incel subculture it their kind of premise is basically you know kind of like uppity headstrong women aren't distributing the sex equitably as they should and therefore these guys are are victims right and so there there's 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 definitely this aspect uh with on the whole spectrum of these shooters that they are righteous victims at some level and by by acting out they are they are in their minds kind of setting things straight and 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 bringing uh attention to the victimization of their crew well totally and that also displays what how biased it is from the beginning when we're talking about this because the assumption is a white man did this so something must have gone wrong he must have been ill-treated or grown up in a broken home something had to have happened to make him this way whereas it you know when you see a young black man doing a shooting they don't get any of that benefit of the doubt that something went wrong along the lines you know some kind of intrinsic force they couldn't fight you know it's just they're assumed to be you know uh violent or unstable or something like that there's no external forces that corrupted them it's apples to oranges in this case but like the tamir rice case in ohio 12 year old boy who police shot like within two seconds of pulling up to this park where he had sort of like a toy gun or whatever Mm -hmm. right you're just not given the same presumption yeah. Well, it's yeah. also there's there's and and people talk about this all the time, but you have, 
it's almost like a cliche in in mass shooting reporting where it's like mass shooter kept to you know friend said he was the nicest guy or you know friends you know he or you know kind of kept to you know kind of kept to himself uh always offering to mow the lawn you know all these kind of all these kind of things where where yeah you know it's 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 treated as a a mystery to be explained and as you say when you have something so total and so over the top there there's a level at which it's 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 sort of human nature to say, okay, what this is so outside of our experience. What what went into this? But as you say, that's not, uh, you know, people killed all the time. The people don't, you know, kind of ask ask yeah. those questions. And I think this issue of like, you know, how you treat how you treat their kind of drama and whether or not you kind of get involved with it. Um, it goes to like how you have to read their manifestos because the ones who leave them, I mean, it really fits into this where it's always this narrative of martyrdom, but really this, this narrative of like heroism, like, mm-hmm. you know, I've been so mistreated by the world. And so have my like brethren or whatever that now this is this like one act that's going to, you know, redeem me and us and send this message. Um, but it's like, and it's also, but it's always very clearly like an attempt to control the narrative of the shooting mm-hmm. and you control the narrative of the aftermath and they often succeed. Well, I think there was that, wait, what wasn't there in, I mean, this was a, I mean, I have always been interested in the the feedback loops of media awareness and media criticism yeah. that you see in our world. And I think it was in the El Paso one where he basically said, a lot of people are going to say, I'm doing this because of Trump. That's fake news. Right. So he's almost like becoming the Fox aware. commentator <laughs> right, yeah. of his own mass shooting like, in a way, right? Meta, yeah. yeah, it's very meta. But yeah. you can see there where, because I, I think he said, you know, I was a hateful idiot long before Trump even came onto the scene. So this was not about Trump, even though his his actual ideas are. And you know, at a certain level, he may be right. He 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 was on this stuff before Trump came along. But there's preempting is wild. Yeah. Well, preempting and 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 again, even to the point of there's uh, Todd Gitlin, uh, famous. You know, was was part of the new left back in the early sixties um, and uh, famous writer and commentator ever since. And he had this line. It was, I'm, I'm virtually certain it was a piece he wrote in salon in the late nineties. And he talked about the way that modern media culture had made uh, people the cognoscenti of their own bamboozlement. Right. And it's, it's, it's like, I, I've used that. I, uh, bamboozle is a, is a favorite word of mine. I think I got, I mean, I obviously knew the word, but mm-hmm. I, it, 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 that line. And it was so great because the w- the way that modern talk show cable news media makes, m- makes the public sort of a sophisticate of, 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 you know, kind of Chomsky and, you know, manufacturer of consent or something. All right. Should we move on to the Mark Halperin saga? Yeah. So disgraced political journalist Mark Halperin. Was this maybe three or four years ago? I'm trying to remember the exact timing. 2017. Yeah. yeah well, more recent. More recent than yeah, that. Yeah. It's like two years ago. Was, I guess, basically ousted from all of his various, you know, high-level political journalism jobs after a reporting came out that he sexually harassed and abused a number of his female colleagues. He was dropped from the Game Change Project with his co-writer, John Heileman. Uh, and now news came out this weekend, I believe it was just yesterday that this story broke. Yeah, yeah Sunday. Mm-hmm. That he's got a new book deal with kind of a n- notorious publisher, I guess. And Josh, who, is the, who is the publisher? Uh, Judith, Judith Regan. Regan. 
Oh my yeah. God! I hadn't. We haven't heard of her in a long yeah, it's been time. A while. So, um, the book is called "How to Beat Trump," and it's political operatives kind of giving their two cents about how to defeat Trump in 2020. That's the premise. Talked to what, a couple dozen people for 75. the book. 75. Yeah. Uh, David Axelrod was one of them, the former Obama aide. Donna Brazil, former chairman of chairwoman of the DNC. Others were there. Others that jumped out. James Carville was one that stood out to me. I think those were the three that were kind of continuously cited as the most high profile, though. So Right. So it didn't take long. David Axelrod has already been on Twitter saying he regrets participating. Mm-hmm. Donna Brazil basically defended her participation, right. right? I mean, I think like the fact that he went to Judith Regan as a publisher is like arguably the most interesting part right. of this, so just given her history. Tell us a little bit about her for people who, wouldn't, who aren't familiar. Um... So, I mean, I, I didn't live through, I think, her, like, heyday, which was, like, the, you know, like, the mid-90s. <laughs> but, I mean, she's responsible, sort of, like, for conservative publishing in a lot of ways, right? I mean, she pu- she published Rush Limbaugh at the same time as she published, like, Howard Stern and also Beavis and Butthead. Nice. And so it was this, like, kind of, like, lowbrow publishing that was, like, really, I don't know, Josh, you, I mean, what, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to, th- I mean, there were a bunch of people, and, and the funny thing is, be- she wasn't, like, exactly a conservative herself or at least she may have been in the sense that we now recognize it just you know fox news rich new york person who hangs out with rudy a lot but but not in the cultural sense if anything quite the opposite and but this goes well into like into the aughts too and and but she's been i don't know what happened to her but i haven't i don't feel like i've heard anything about her and well i mean that's kind years. of i think that's kind of part of the story at least it's from part that. of her comeback too kind of thing that's sort of what it seems like because i mean there's been some reporting over the past couple of years that talks about how so after so i guess just for, sort of for listeners i mean she had this sort of downfall in the late 2000s because she tried to publish uh the oj simpson if i did it um, oh, I forgot about yeah. her. Well, she also the had... The book was yeah. dropped, right? And then she was fired from... Yeah, but so then what she did was that she then filed this $100 million lawsuit against her former employers, which is where the Giuliani tie-in is. Because then she was alleging that um, in this lawsuit, she, this is like 2008, 2009, and she alleged in the lawsuit that like um, Fox or News Corp execs c- tried to like basically coerce her into lying to federal investigators into her investigating Bernie Carrick. Right, I was... Yeah, I, I, right, to, to protect I just started Giuliani's looking this campaign, up because yeah. I wanted to make sure I'm remembering this right, right because yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to either say something highly accurate or libel or what I'm going to say next. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, okay, yeah, and so and that had to do with uh, protecting pre- uh, Rudy Giuliani's 2008 presidential bid in the Republican primary. Um, so, you know, all the makings of like a great story. But so she... So reportedly she got, I think, like $10 million out of that settlement. Um, it's not entirely clear. I don't want to misstate something for the rate for the record, but like she uses that money and some other money, I guess, to find to found this publisher, um, Reagan Arts, and that's been going on basically since then. It's Reagan Arts that's publishing okay. the uh, Halperin book. But there was you know a story in Publishers Weekly like um, last year talking about how they were facing declining revenues, you know, declining book sales, and just in general, she wasn't she, she's not really publishing the Rush Limbaugh's of the world anymore. It's lower its names kind of lower down the scale. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. Okay, Kate, you wrote you wrote up the news this morning, kind of as it was breaking what's some of the i don't know feedback or response you've seen just online today i mean honestly i've seen the bulk of the anger aimed at the democratic notables who talked to him for this book yeah and i mean even i think axelrod even was like oh you know we've been friends for blah 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 it didn't even occur to me it's like first of all (laughs) re-examine your friendships second of all that doesn't fly anymore you know he forced himself in some kind of ways on multiple women he worked with. I mean, if there had been any other 
workplace behavior that was that dysfunctional. If you had a coworker who was going around biting people, he would not be back in that industry ever. You know, people would consider that weird and antisocial and give them the boot. And it's just because this behavior is aimed at women that somehow these people are allowed to like wiggle back through the cracks and even elicit some reactions of, oh, what, do you, do you never want him to work again? You sure. know, which is just absurd. Well, the, the, I don't remember all the details, but there, there were a lot of people, a lot of men sort of, you know, bounced in the, in the height of the Me Too sort of whatever you, you call it, who, you know, harassing behavior that didn't involve like shoving their penises up into someone's face. I mean, th- I mean, Halpern stuff was like it was violent, substantially yeah, yeah. like more elevated than a lot of stuff. And, and the other thing, and this is coming at it from a totally different direction that that is always kind of weird about Halpern is Halpern sucked quite apart (laughs) from, from being from his behavior with women. I mean, he, he, he was for years and years and years notorious as just like the, 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 the guy who had the most superficial jejun, um, just silly, commentary and it was always kind of a mystery how he ended up being such a player right because so, at one point he was getting paid a million dollars a year at bloomberg to co-host yeah, some like well, they kind ha- of very low-rated television show well they they the, you know the big thing that kind of made him a big money maker was they had the first game change book which is about the, the 2008 election um and i've i, I first of all like i i vaguely know heileman seems like a decent guy, right? I never, I mean, again, long before the abuse stuff came out, I never understood why he even associated with Halpern because Halpern's such a moron. Because Heilemann's legit, right? He was at Newsweek for a long time, Wired, I want to say, right? Didn't he cover the Enron yeah, I don't remember. case I mean, or the Microsoft antitrust case or something, one of those kind of big business cases of the... Yeah, I, I don't quite, you know, just a legit, legit reporter. And um, it, it, that's you know, kind of damning with faint praise, you know, someone with a really good reputation, broke stories, blah, 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 blah. And Halpern was always kind of like an elite gossip kind of person. Uh, but yeah, so I guess the the reason I bring this up is, is I was a little, I was a little surprised beyond the sort of the ethics or morality of like, you know, trying to kind of bring Halpern back into the, into the fold of, a, of, of presentable people that, his stuff is just dumb, and the, and the only and the only thing that I think made him kind of rocketed him to stardom was that he had access and he could get these little anecdotes, and that's what that's what the game change sort of series was 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 uh, you know built on. So it's not even clear to me why one would publish the book in, in for the most craven of reasons. I can't imagine who would buy it. Right, I mean, and w- I mean that kind of goes along too with what the the point of the book, you know, how to beat Trump. And you're like, okay, so you're talking to Donna Brazil about how to beat Trump. It's not like she's reticent on the issue. You know, all these people <laughs> yeah. have blue check Twitters, you know, yeah. it's not this And TV contributor gigs and every, exactly. or, or podcasts or whatever. Right, exactly. And I think like just to add to your point, I mean, you know, for example, with the OJ book, I mean, like all these things, like kind of the, the marketing strategy is the outrage that the publication of the book creates, right? And with the Halpern thing, that seems sort of like what's going on. It's yeah. like, I mean, it got leaked to Politico on Sunday. The leak was that, you know, that, that her publishing house is going to announce it on Monday. So it seems sort of calculated. So like almost like the outrage is the, is the, is, is the marketing that, strategy. that's the thing yeah, with like, like the OJ thing, like kind of like a little before your guy's time. But I mean, that was like such a, the whole spectacle was such a big thing. And like, 
it's terrible and someone's profiting off it. But a lot of people, okay, like, what is he going to say? Because we've always wondered what his deal is. Why did he do this? Blah, blah, blah. But this, again, kind of like, oh, you talked to David Axelrod. Dude, <laughs> like, like, what? Like, who, who cares, right? Just totally, who cares? I was trying to remember what was the, it was kind of a mini scandal. It seems kind of quaint by comparison, but was it on Morning Joe? He called Obama a dick or something like that and got suspended yeah. from air. I don't know. I was trying to remember oh, one right. of these a little. What, what was that? It was it Obama was... gave some press conference and the next day, yeah, Mark Halperin went to Morning Joe and was, he was like, like, yeah, he was being a dick. Kind like, of a dick or something yeah. like that. He got suspended from MSNBC for like a week or two, something like that. Right. Right. But was it, was it, I thought there was something a little more than that. It's possible. I thought it was just kind of a stupid thing he said on air, a flippant. I mean, goes to show the quality of his political analysis, right, right, right. basically. I, I guess there's, I mean, the other thing, and certainly people like myself, that Halperin, as much as he was sort of like a gossip hound and all that kind of stuff, that his big thing was, he was really a conduit for like Republican chatter and smears. Um, and uh, I, with that, I kind of, I, I remember that it was, like it wasn't that he used the word "dick" like on the air. There was something that was contemptuous, more malicious. Yeah, kind of, yeah, like a little like, "Wow, what, what, where is that from?" Right. Kind of thing. I, but I don't. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm mis- I mean, obviously, calling calling the president a dick is is even in our age, like for on, on a, you know, in presentable TV, that's a bit much. Yeah. Right? This is kind of a deep cut, but like there was this interview he, Halpern did with Hugh Hewitt in like the mid 2000s, um, where Hewitt just keeps calling him a liberal, and Mark Halpern is just like furiously denying that he is a liberal. And Hewitt's response is, you know, well, you live in D.C., you went to an elite university, you are a reporter, therefore you are a liberal. Right. And right. Halpern basically has like a meltdown, like on this like radio appearance, just like furiously denying that he could ever be. And the emails Hewitt afterwards and all that. But it's like it's this thing where it's like at some point you just gotta accept like you know you know what you know what the funny thing is is that I'm pretty sure his dad is Mort Halperin, who is this famous uh, uh, diplomat and and kind of like foreign affairs big thing guy, like a really respected dude, right? And And I remember I was always, all through sort of Halperin's reign, I was always, I mean, you know, doesn't make any sense, but always like, wow, how could such a solid person and, and, and deep thinker, uh, you know, produce such a doofus? Like what happened, right? Is it just like de de evolution or something? It could just be the cable news syndrome. You know, you start off. Well, you know what, you know what the thing is with Halpern where he actually became a thing is he had this thing called the note and it was, I think, I think it may have started in the very late nineties. It was basically sort of a proto version of sort of blogs and the and the kind of you know world we know today with with Politico and all these kind of digital outlets, and it was just a, a, a kind of an email that came out um, every day. It was it was sort of the uh, it was the progenitor of the thing Mike Allen did with Politico before he went to Axios and all that kind of stuff. So. That was his. That was what made him a thing. That's what got him on TV. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like. yeah. Was Halpern yeah. the one who had like the idea of like the five hundred? Like, there's like five hundred people in I Washington or something that so. make all I the decisions. Thinks, yeah, yeah, I think so. if you reach them, then you can. Yeah. Right. Oh my god! See, the, 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 this is the thing. Everything about him is just dumb stuff. Just dumb, dumb things that he that that he came up with, and and uh, like I said, this is the. It's almost that I. 
it, it, this is one of the few cases where I'm, I'm upset at the Me Too movement because he should have been taken down just about being stupid. And, 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 and the Me Too controversy has, has covered up the fact that he was just an idiot and was responsible for, for you know, so much of the just, just idiotic commentary. Um, so now we need to, now that si- since, since Me Too was not able to like, you know, vanquish him, we need to bring back that he was always an idiot um, and, and, you know, has anyone drive seen, him from the public square. Has anyone seen any information about an advance dollar figure or anything like that? I reached out to the publisher, but didn't hear anything back. Yeah, that that's, I was yeah, wondering, I, I, I asked yeah. Kate about this before we came on, because again, I, I really, not clear to me why anybody would buy this book. Yeah. I mean, it'd be one thing if he, if he, I mean, unfortunately, if he came out with a book about, all right, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you about all the terrible things I did while I was a, a sleazy famous person. Yes. I believe that a lot of people would buy that book, but like you talk to a bunch of people who are talking on Twitter all day, right. like what, <laughs> like, what is that? What is that? Yeah. You know, what yeah. is that about? I mean, I think the book it shouldn't even surprise anyone because he's kind of done his broaching the comeback thing in a lot in a way that a lot of these guys have you know he started his newsletter he went with on um, Smirconish on you know Sirius XM or whatever but it's a kind you look at even someone like Al Franken who just had that super long New Yorker right, profile right, right. where he's bemoaning his state and that you know and a lot of people I think criticize that for being so laudatory but the pattern of these men softening the ground, reaching back out to their connections, reminding people like, I socialize in your circles too, you know, it's just, and then bam, they're just back on the scene again. People are pissed for a while. And then what is the most, what is the most successful case of that? Of the comeback? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Hmm. I mean, you have attempts. I mean, you, you, Halpern is obviously, I mean, he went back on Twitter a year or so ago and he had, as you said, had that newsletter. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we know about like Louis CK is back on the comedy circuit. Yeah. Right. Aziz Ansari. It wasn't quite to the level of some of these other people we're talking about. It was Mm -hmm. more sort of of a gray area, but he, you know, has a Netflix special that just came out. I would think that's kind of And the comedians do it in a way of just, you know, they pop into the comedy cellar or whatever to surprise the crowd and gauge reaction and then joke, make jokes at their own expense. And it's like, okay, you're back. Right, right. But I mean, on the right, it's easier to survive, right? I mean, Trump obviously hasn't. Yeah, maybe Trump is kind of the prime example. But that's, but see, different, but yeah. That, that's the thing is, is that for Trump, I mean, and this goes to, to, I can't remember the point in our conversation about the about the feral dweebs, but it, it's not just that he gets away with it, that it is it is an ideological assertion. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just get away with it. He does it and it's cool. It's it's you know, it's 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 a war against political correctness and and complaining women and the feminists and all it's it becomes like a positive good. But in the meat, I'm trying to think who in the meat. So, so like Charlie Rose, haven't heard from him. I mean, there was he's wasn't tried, there a project yeah. they were trying to do a project. Matt Lauer, haven't you know, just been hanging out in the Hamptons. It seems like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like he may be. Halpern may be the most. Uh, no one else has gotten a book deal or anything. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of I, that I've I, seen I, like that. It is surprising to yeah, me. Yeah, anyway, I this is still a fairly new movement. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if anybody in Hollywood has like sort of survived. 
um, you know, because Kevin Spacey wasn't like prosecuted, the lawsuits sort of like fell away. Didn't in, well, the didn't charges the pro- were dropped? The pro- right. right. Yeah. 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 Why? Do we? I don't. I saw that recently. Right. Do we I mean, know? It's different yeah. from like being rehabilitated in terms of your reputation. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll be curious to think. I'm, I'm trying to think in the in the in the in the media realm what the because didn't yeah. Letterman have something where what he addressed him head on or Nell something? was talking. Remember we yeah. were talking yeah. about this last. Yeah. So so. He had a th- okay. So it happened a decade ago. So well, well, well before uh, the the Me Too blow up in 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 2017, and I think part of it was how it came to light and how it came to light. If I'm, re- I think I'm remembering this right. Uh, he had had at the time it was called an affair. You know, he had at least had. A, a sexual relationship of some sort with a woman who worked on the show. Later, her other boyfriend, husband, you know, someone else in a in in a relationship of some sort with her, blackmailed Letterman that he would, uh, you know, publicize this, and Letterman, rather than be blackmailed, reported it to police and basically just. Uh, made an announcement on the show like I kind of had a habit of sleeping with women who worked on my show and I think part I mean partly because it was not at the same time because it was a decade ago partly because the immediate circumstance was him being blackmailed um, it and and that he did you know he did kind of come out and you know on you know kind of not live TV and yes it was treated at the time like dude David Awesome, dude. Right. You know, you, wasn't you, Nell, doesn't Nell talk about how he received applause for saying that, basically? Yeah, right? I remember yeah. it. It was, it was on the show. It was when his show was still on the air. Um, ag- again, during the monologue, one night, he, he uh, said this. And um, I, I think at least how, how it was treated and, present, and presented at the time in the press wasn't, oh, this was like a Charlie Rose type thing where he kind of, you know, brought in a certain type of young woman who he would then, you know, prey on whatever, you know, whatever scenario, you know, however you want to describe that. It was more kind of like, ah, Dave's a bit of a ladies man. So had had sex with a lot of people who worked on the show. Deeply gross because it's such a similar thing. Like, it's not like the power dynamic on Letterman was any different than Charlie Rose was working with. But if anything, more more, so. David Letterman was always a big. I mean, Charlie Rose, the reason why he's on PBS, right? I mean, it's a kind of a niche, (laughs) a niche kind of thing. So even more, even more so. But just the idea of rebranding that behavior, which is predatory and gross and et cetera, et cetera, and making it into the same thing that you know, Trump acolytes love about him, which is I can sleep with a lot of women. Don't you wish you were me? You know, it's a, it's a power move for these men. And it, it all, you know, it even ties back to these shooters. The idea mm-hmm. that women are chattel or are to be used. And if you're someone who is skilled at using them, you have more social capital as a man. And there was, I mean, to your point with, with the analogy to uh, Charlie Rose, I, I don't remember exactly where in the reporting, but at least in the sort of the in the later reporting, it was a similar thing that there were people on, you know, executives involved in the show who, you know, there was a certain kind of young woman, certain kind of look, certain kind of hair color, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not sure if they were 
interns or just junior staffers or something like that, but basically kind of a pipeline. Dave always needs like a certain number of these women kind of in the milieu to date and have sex with. So it was, it was fairly similar to, I mean, I, again, have a hard time keeping all these different stories straight, but that was the kind of the Charlie Rose thing. Like he had, you know, like a pipeline and there were people who sort of knew his type, knew the kind of people to bring in. And it was, it was similar. And it, it was, it was, it was, uh, as, as, as Nell said, he got a standing ovation. Yeah. And now he's interviewing Obama and Kanye West on Netflix. And right, all right, that. right. And you know who's bounced back in media? Uh, Glenn Thrush, New York Times reporter. That was, I think that's, point. that's the big one. He's actually, his career is completely where it was before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's, is he back on the same beat? Wasn't that his big punishment? He's, he's on DC investigations. He's not on uh, like health and human. I mean, that was the thing. Also, the punishment was covering like social security, which like, it's a whole separate, yeah, separate issue. But, right, like, right, right. He's sent, yeah. s- s- sent down to the, to the, yeah. to the drudgery of, of like <laughs> policy reporting. But so was the New York Times. I mean. Right. You know, but so yeah. he, but he was still out of DC, but he was basically just policy, not, not the White House. he was covering the agency and stuff that was kind of the that was the beat when he was kind of pushed aside from politics yeah that quote-unquote big demotion big punishment it's like you still get to write for the best newspaper in the world but like it's not as fun a beat so sure you won't do this again all right okay so yeah i gotta i gotta mention uh uh grady's cold brew iced coffee remember uh if you want to give it a swirl give it a try like we all do here we have you know we have our own uh, refrigerator entirely devoted to grady's cold brew iced coffee here at tpm get 20 percent off your first order at grady's with promo code tpm that's promo code tpm and also remember subscribe to tpm yes please. because that's how we fund our whole operation uh subscribe to prime or prime ad free and you can even get a special offer by going to or a special discount 20% discount by going to talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal to yes. get 20% off support our work yep. please. thanks thanks Later. a lot thank thanks. you guys bye